0: Black Friday and Cyber Monday are coming up fast, and if you don't have a good loyalty program to give customers a reason to come back after the holidays, you're leaving money on the table. If you don't have a loyalty program already, don't panic. Our friends at Bold have a great loyalty app, and setting it up is dead simple. There's no installation, no liquid update needed, it just works. You set the amount of points customers earn when they shop, what the redemption value is, and that's it. You're done. If you want to get fancy, you can offer points when customers share your store on social media, when it's their birthday, and more. Loyalty Points even integrates with Bold Cashier, so customers can use points at checkout like a real currency. They could pay for an order with half points, half credit card, or you can let them use points toward upgraded shipping. And on top of that, it doesn't use discount codes, so customers can still use those as normal if they have one. Here's my Black Friday tip for you. Bold Loyalty Points is a sweet feature that lets you offer bonus points during certain periods. Maybe you aren't allowed to offer discounts or you don't want to. You could offer double the loyalty points during Black Friday as your incentive. This year, use Bold's loyalty app to supercharge your holiday promotions. Bold Loyalty Points comes with a free trial and your first 500 customers completely free. Visit boldcommerce.com or search Bold Loyalty in the Shopify App Store to get your free trial started today. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them, they are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, and I want to tell you about a friend of mine, a guy I have run into over and over again. Our paths have crossed. And most recently, our paths crossed when we were both in Vegas for the SEMA show, the big, the gigantic, ludicrous 200,000 person uh, a- automotive aftermarket show, basically a gigantic Vegas show about car parts. And I ran into uh, Drew Sanaki there. And Drew and I had breakfast and then went to the Hoonigan VIP event. We basically spent most of the day together catching up. And this guy has done so much. I met him years ago when we were both in the the info product space with the the Brennan Dunn types, the Rob Walling types, and now our paths have crossed again in automotive e-commerce. And so I could not possibly tell you Drew's storied 20-year career properly. I'm going to let Drew do that. Mr. Sanaki... Tell us, uh, in nine in 90 seconds or less, what have you been up to for the last 20 years?
1: Uh, t- t- hi. Uh, Hello. 20, yeah, 20 years in e-commerce. I started my first uh, e-commerce retailer, Dropship Furniture Retailer, in 99. Sold that in 2010. And uh, after I sold, I started um, getting into e-commerce, called e-commerce private equity, so helping buy and sell e-commerce brands. And so in that capacity, I helped run uh, Carmaloop, a retailer called Carmaloop, streetwear retailer, Um, worked on probably 20 other deals with e-commerce brands. And today I am the CEO of Auto Anything, which is a hundred plus million dollar uh, revenue aftermarket automotive uh, retailer. How did that happen? So, okay. We bought this company from AutoZone. AutoZone owned it. It was a corporate carve out. Uh, I don't think they fully understood e-commerce or knew what they wanted to do with this company, and so we swooped in and bought it out from from them.
0: What platform is Auto Anything on? It's not <laughs> Shopify.
1: No, it's .dot uh, net circa 1999. Oh boy. Yeah, this is the bane of my existence. Is this platform that uh, pre- predates anything? And off you would the shelf.
0: you would desperately love for it to be on Shopify. I understand.
1: I, I would. Um, you know, we've tried to get it on Shopify every which way. Part of the challenge is we've got uh five million SKUs and cool. um man, the 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 one hundred option one hundred option uh variant limit in Shopify keeps bonking. And so it's it's hard to jam our SKU count into Shopify. But I'm gonna keep trying. So that and the I've mentioned it before in this podcast, the big struggle with
0: automotive as a, a space. Is the year make model vehicle selector? And then yes. trying to manage that database. You've got product information management problems. Trying to get, if you're not the manufacturer, trying to get, like you're, in your case, you're a, um, a reseller. So trying to get clean, sensible data cons- that's consistent for everything across half a million SKUs. I mean, you quickly run into, like somebody told me, like, oh, well, you could just tag it. You can't even just tag it because there's a limit to the number of tags. And then let's say you've right. got a search with an, a large quantity of items in it. I mean, it'll just the thing will will time out when you're trying to run through loop through that many tags on that many products to do what Correct. you want to do. I mean, it's absolutely at a small scale it'll work. At a, a large scale, suddenly it becomes this like management nightmare.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, if somebody had told us this before we bought the company, um, that would have helped. <laughs> Because I think part of the Listen, investment thesis. You just had thesis to text was, me. I would have told you. Yeah, I know. I know. I wish I knew somebody who knew Shopify, both Shopify and automotive. Uh, and I, I did. I just didn't talk to that person. Um, but you know, part of the investment thesis was like, wow, this company is spending six million a year on on IT on maintaining this legacy platform. You know, we've got like forty databases, and it's just it's kind of insane what we what we inherited. Let's just buy this company and put it on Shopify and we save, you know, millions of dollars right there. When you uh, say 40
0: is, databases, is that an exaggeration or you literally have to manage 40 databases? We literally have
1: 40 databases. It's the number I keep hearing around the office of things. we. Yeah, we've got this service called Pythian, which is like outsourced DBAs who manage 40 databases. Oh, man. But, but, but I mean, like there's, a time, there's an expiration date on that. We've been, we've been working on getting these things into the cloud. We've been working on migrating to a, a PIM, which is going to solve a lot of our problems. Um, we just installed this thing called PIMCore. It's been a year-long project. It's an open source database that allows us to put all that uh, automotive data in there, map fields to the fields of our brands, and it should uh, make managing the product data a lot easier.
0: So it 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 is wonderful to hear you uh pull the curtain back and share with us like, hey, you could grow a giant business, but at the same time, there are new challenges that come with it that like when you're you know looking at these other businesses and thinking the grass is greener, like yeah, maybe maybe, but there's also new challenges that come with it. So it's nice it's refreshing to hear someone say, like, all right, well, here's the nonsense we gotta deal with.
1: Yeah. I mean my, my challenges are you know, legacy tech people and culture. That's always a big challenge. Like we had to recruit a whole new management team at this company. I didn't anticipate that coming in too. I thought, you know, much like you, my job would be geeking out, opening Google Analytics, starting to do some lifecycle campaigns and mining the customer data because we we knew we bought a significant audience here, right? It's, uh, you know, I've got like 5 million people on the email list and this this business has been in, in business for 40 years. So we've got like this huge customer database. Um all I got to do is mine that. And really I haven't had a whole lot of time to do that uh because the business is so big, much of my time has been spent recruiting and finding people to to kind of do that stuff.
0: Okay. So in this episode I want to talk to you about a few things. I want to hear um well you told us about auto anything. I want to hear a little bit more about that. I want to hear about your your karma loop experience because I think that I've heard heard you tell me that story before. It's very interesting, um, and it specifically around that approach where you said, "Yeah, I want to just be I just want to geek out on it and increase customer lifetime value." And I know that's kind of how karma loop went. Um, so I want to hear about that today. And you've got I love your approach and mentality and mindset to that. It's taken you twenty years to develop, but I want to talk about that on um, how you're you're executing these strategies because you call your model digital private equity and value-added leadership. I think that's it. I want to touch on that. And then finally, on top of all this, you even have a
1: SaaS business, right? I do. Plug it. What's the name of that? Postpilot. Postpilot. Postpilot.com. It's direct direct mail for Shopify. So call it programmatic direct mail or Customer driven direct mail, but it's an app that plugs into Shopify, pulls your customer data, much like Clavio or Drip, and allows you to automate the sending of physical postcards to your customers. Is there. Where do we, where do we begin? <laughs> oh, man.
0: Where, so,
1: where do we begin, Kurt? Is there
0: any. I feel like I missed something, some value nugget in your auto anything experience, but I'm, I can't come up with
1: anything concrete.
0: Is there anything valuable you want to share with us? Not your auto anything experience.
1: Um, the big learnings here have been really much more about team and culture. So things like uh, this book traction. if you're if you're running oh. a business that is um, I would say over five million in revenue, all of a sudden, it's it goes from being something that uh, where everything has to go through you as the solo founder to I got to run a team. Like I would say 5 million and up as an e-commerce brand. Now you've got some margin to start building out a team and doing things through people. And, uh, the number one book that I recommend on how to, uh, operationalize good management is called traction by this guy Wickman. Um, it takes the concepts of, you know, setting three and one year goals and distills them down to quarterly goals and then uh, you take those quarterly goals and essentially build an organization to execute on them and hold it accountable. So that that's been the, that's a summary of my past year. Has really been implementing that program. It's interesting to hear you say
0: that. I have heard you're not the first person to recommend Traction to me. It definitely speaks to it to hear someone who is running this big, big organization with new challenges jumping in and implementing Traction. Um, you mentioned as you moved into that leadership role, um, cultural issues with running a, a, a new team like that. Tell me about that. Has, how has that been challenging for you?
1: Well, the company was owned by AutoZone. So whatever AutoZone is, an $8 billion company. And they ran it much like a, a brick-and-mortar store because I think that was their culture. That was their mentality. For example, you know, we bought a company where we came in and all the employees wore the AutoZone uniform. For an e-commerce brand, which is just sort of um, not not the culture of an e-commerce brand, right? Like they did the AutoZone cheer before every meeting, and there there were a lot of meetings. There's an AutoZone cheer. There is an AutoZone cheer. You can Google it. I'm not going to do it for you because I don't actually don't know it. But um, AutoZone cheer. You know, there was when you're owned by a big company, you have things like 10 people in HR. You know, and a massive accounting team because it's all about managing. This big company is used to, you know, sharing resources across a massive group of people. And so you need to staff up on HR, you need to staff up on finance. And conversely, they had taken a once great marketing team and really decreased that down to maybe a a couple people. So um, the challenge for us was how do you get this company to think? more entrepreneurially like a much smaller company like you're no longer part of a billion dollar company you need to take more risks um and we need people here we need to create a culture where that's acceptable and what's been the big challenge for you there um i mean it's it's the culture like changing the culture and the people i have mean, never we, done this
0: so this is like i 100 percent accept that this is difficult but i don't know what is difficult about it or how you go about changing it
1: um I think it, you know it, we bought a company where um they had no sense of how big the company was or what the goals were or what the priorities were. You know they had I think they had all that stuff from AutoZone. They knew what was going on with AutoZone, but um as far as like what this e-commerce brand stands for or what we need to execute on, there wasn't a sense of that. So we started we had to over communicate. Like okay, here's what we're trying to do with this business here's what we're trying to do this quarter and here's what your team needs to do you know this week to be a part of that so that was part of it uh, nobody nobody like people got their hands slapped slapped under autozone i think there was a little bit of a culture of like okay i'm going to stay in my lane i'm going to do what i need to do and i'm not going to rethink something so when we bought the business it was losing money And, um, that's not going to last long. Right. So, uh, it was losing a lot of money every month. So, um, we had to start doing more with less. Like we took the company from about 200 people to hundred in a year. And in that environment, you're just not going to have the bodies to throw at every problem. Right. Like one example is our data team that is responsible for managing this product data, um, went from something like 35 down to five people. Right. So, um, there was a lot of you know, concern when this happened, like how are we going to do as much with fewer people? But it is one of the tenets of sort of um, private equity investing is like you want to starve things for resources in order to create design thinking, right? The only way you're going to create innovation is by giving people fewer resources than, than they need to get something done. Like only when you do that, do people start to rethink things like a process or mm. look at technological solutions to get something done. Like there's no physical way we could manage 600 vendors with the, the five person team. So we've got to like rethink how we do things. We've got to do a lot of 80, 20, uh, throughout the business. But, um, it was the first step in kind of changing the culture a little bit.
0: I love the concept of 80, 20 Pareto's principle for people who don't know, give us the crash course in 80, 20,
1: uh, 80, 20. And there's a great book by, uh, Perry, Perry, Perry Marshall. Marshall. Yeah. The 80, 20 role. Um, you know the, the, the general idea is like, hey, for any business, uh, 20% of your customers drive 80% of the revenue. 20% of the products are the ones that drive 80% of the revenue. 20% of our vendors are the ones that drive 80% of the revenue. So, you know, you can imagine this is a very long tail business, and uh, there are 80/20s throughout the business. So, with a few with a smaller team to execute on the business, um, you better be sure we're we're focused on that top 20%. Yeah, so
0: there we got uh, 80-20 Sales and Marketing, The Guide to Working Less and Making More with Perry Marshall. That's the one I read. But when I searched 80-20 rule, there's another one called The 80-20 Principle by Richard Koch.
1: I think he, he wrote the forward to uh, Perry Marshall's book.
0: Okay, so I'm going with Perry Marshall. Is like I know that's the one we both read.
1: Yeah, he operationalizes it a little bit better for the typical entrepreneur. All right, I'm including that one because
0: i have found i read in that where,
1: where are you including this oh in my show notes sorry oh nice <laughs> it'll All go right. in the show
0: notes anytime you like include it yeah so we've got we've got auto anything in here then traction then 8020 rule anytime you mention something that people may want to reference or make a recommendation i throw a, a link in there for the like post,
1: post pilot for example
0: Postpilot will get a back link in there
1: yes good <laughs> seo <laughs> nerdmarketing.com
0: are you just you're just going to start throwing out links yeah, oh I'm yes sure. i'll the last yeah. question will be, where do we find out more about you? You'll send your to marketing, and <laughs> it'll go in there. Quit. You're wrecking up my process. I've 20 this already. i I apologize. All right. So the other – prior to auto anything, you uh, helped run nine-figure apparel brand Karma Loop. So this is – you're now in your second nine-figure brand here. Tell me about the yep. Karma Loop experience
1: uh you know it's as much as I, so my first business was a dropship retailer of um furniture like a predecessor to Wayfair it didn't become Wayfair but it was much like Wayfair it was right similar yeah um and i think a lot of people who have been in com- e-commerce for about 20 years they know that like there was sort of the golden age of dropshipping which was probably 2000 to 2010 or 2008 where you know google traffic is doing this organic traffic like all you had to do was really put product online and you'd start to rank you could build that nice long tail and your seo traffic would do this and you'd make money right um as we all know those days were numbered i mean eventually the brands that you were putting online all went online themselves you know they would start selling direct every category became more crowded um but as a result you've got a lot of a lot of retailers achieved a, a high level of scale by doing that and then got in trouble. So Karma Loop was one of them. I sold my business right when I kind of saw the writing on the wall that that was happening to drop, drop shipping. Karma Loop grew to about $100 million. They were in a huge category, streetwear. Um, but you know, increasingly, initially, it was about getting these brands online. Um, today, you can get all the brands directly from the brand or you get them on Amazon. So Karma Loop is there, $100 million in revenue margins going down as competition increases um and that's the challenge with that business they go bankrupt we bought them out of bankruptcy um much the same with auto anything i mean auto anything grew off of that macro trend too from 2000 to 2010 and here we are today commodity dropship retail so how do we how do we grow out of that
0: so all right you have framed the problem that karma loop faced and how you were able to acquire it what did you do to turn it around How did you add value to
1: Karma Loop at that point? And what year was this? This was 2015. Okay. Yeah. I think – so I went in as CMO. There was a CMO – sorry, a CEO we hired from um, the streetwear industry, Seth Haber. We did a lot on just operational efficiencies. So standard – this is standard more private equity stuff, cutting costs, becoming more efficient with the business. Uh, focusing on your top brands, your top products, um, on the marketing side, we did a lot of uh, probably what you're familiar with, you know, like life cycle marketing. This, this was a brand that a retailer that every day would send out a 10 or 20% off coupon. There's really no rhyme or reason to the whole list. So we said, we got to stop that. We got to, we got to get away from the rampant discounting and go a little bit deeper on customer segmentation and personalization. And if you do that well and execute well with your standard lifecycle email campaigns, you can probably get 10 to 20% lift in uh, the profitability of the business. We did a lot of that. Uh, The next step was starting to get more exclusives on product. And um, that's about when we were able to, we turned a profit and we were able to sell the business to another acquirer. So I think if we were to see that beyond that step, it would probably mean um, sourcing our own product. Uh, as probably like the last step. So it seems, um, but in your work with Karma loop, what was the
0: big revenue, the biggest revenue lever you pulled? I know like your goal was you did a lot with extended customer lifetime value. Dive deeper into that.
1: I think as a channel, it was email. So, um, again, the business had a significant email asset. There were several million people on the list. And they were just blasting that list every day with the same, you know, everybody gets the same promotion. So what we had, to, the challenge we had to do was, okay, that, that makes no sense. What you're doing is you're, you're ending up attracting a lot of customers who just buy on discount, right? It creates a really, um, you know, you, you, you attract the kind of, you don't attract the kind of customers you want to attract. Um, what we started doing with, was leading more with exclusives. So, hey, here's an exclusive product. Um, you can buy it at full margin. Um, and only then if, if people don't buy at full margin, do they start to see discounting on the site? You know, and then you can do a lot of, um, you can do a lot of like related items and sort of email sequences driven off the initial purchase. So if somebody buys, um, a a certain brand, we know they're more likely to buy other brands. Well, that's what they see in the email sequence, um, over the next several weeks after that first purchase. Right. So there's a lot of, it's really just drilling down on the personalization and uh, using that and using our past data to try to increase customer lifetime value. Hold up. We'll hear more
0: after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24 seven sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand US-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at Simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R.ai. And now, back to the show. Hit me. What do you look for? It sounds like what you've done here with, with Karma Loop and Auto Anything is you looked for a distressed business where you identified opportunities. And you said, look, I, I see how I could turn this around. I could see how this could run better. Do you have, like, a mental checklist for this is, like, the three things that makes a business look very attractive to Drew?
1: Well, I think there are a lot of businesses that were like Karma Loop, like Auto Anything, that went online around 2000. They were built – they have a couple things in common. They were, you know, commodity dropship retailers. They um, They don't do a lot of customer segmentation. They were in a big category, both these categories, streetwear and automotive were huge. You know, they got much better orders of magnitude better than my first retailer in modern design, right? Just because of the category they were in and they're sitting on really big, you know, this business has 70 million uniques a, a year and 5 million people on the email list. Like to some extent we were buying an audience, same with Karma loop. So like you've, you, you now own this audience. How do you monetize it better? Right. And so it's, on the tech side, I mean, we're doing more of this here than we did at Karma Loop, but can we reinvent the legacy platform, which costs a lot of money to maintain? Um, you know, and today, as you know, there are a lot of off-the-shelf solutions like Shopify that you can plug. you can get a very big retailer that pays a lot of money for tech that they don't have to pay for tech. So that's like a quick win um, to grow the business, but gets the business more profitable. Lifecycle emails and other you know, personalization and implementing something like Klaviyo uh, that allows you to do a lot more personalization um, has been sort of in the playbook for both businesses. And again, that gets you a lot more profitable. Um, doesn't always grow the business. But what you do with those profits is then put them into things that will grow the business. So that, that's usually content. It's usually sourcing more product, sourcing your own exclusive product.
0: And you've done – well, what's the – when you source exclusive product – I've never done this. How do you pitch that exclusivity, that collaboration to a brand? Do you say, "Hey, we've got this tremendous audience. Help you just give us something. We'll sell it directly to them." Is that
1: it? That's it. (laughs) I mean, you usually need it's. It's usually not me. Usually, need this is what a merchandiser does. And I've had one, you know, one big learning in e-commerce. I started in marketing. You were in marketing, right? Um, Is that like the best marketing you can do? Is really product right? to have a good product. I mean how many clients come to you and say, I need help growing my, my business and then you look at their product and it's crap, right? And you're just like, dude, there's nothing. You can read all you want about optimizing Facebook ads. Like it's not going to grow that business. Yeah, right? that, but if you had the kill
0: spending money on Facebook ads when you have a product no one wants, you're just gonna find out faster that nobody wants right, it. Right. That's what right. marketing
1: will do for you. Right. But if you sell the i you know the iPhone, right? The, who cares about your, you know, you don't have to optimize conversion rates. I mean, you, a little bit, but like people are going to jump through hoops to buy from you, right? You've got the opposite effect. So I think for any of these businesses, negotiating these ex- either exclusive offers initially, which is a, an intermediary step, and ultimately sourcing your own product and inventorying it is um, a key growth lever. And that's what a good merchant will do for you.
0: So what's funny is you're, the Karma Loop and Auto Anything... You describe them as commodity dropship retailers. But then, like, your big lever to move them is get and warehouse exclusive products, which is antithetical to being a commodity dropshipper.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't survive as a commodity dropshipper, I don't think.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's, like, the key quote. You can't survive as a commodity dropshipper. Is
1: that what's I mean, happening? Amazon will eat your lunch. If it's, not, if it's not today, it's eventually, whenever they get into that category— but you got to differentiate somehow. I mean, some retailers are able to differentiate a little bit on the service side. So you look at uh, Zappos, for example, although arguably they never got profitable, right? They just grew. Um, but can you differentiate, you know, in our space, if we were to differentiate on the service side, it would we'd start exploring things like installs, right? So you buy the, the commodity dropship product, but we also offer installation, right? So something like that would differentiate on the service side. You can differentiate on the product side, which is, you know, we've got this in an exclusive color or fit that you can't get anywhere else, right? So, But you've got you've to have something that nobody else does.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So if you had to go back, you, had to, you could call back in time. You've got a minute at most to tell Drew pre-Karma Loop, hey, let me give you some advice. 30 seconds. What would you tell yourself, knowing what you know now?
1: I I'd be thinking, I probably would have gone harder, faster on exclusive product at both that company and this company. Hmm. I'd go vertical. So if today – I, I And I probably would have pushed harder on getting on an off-the-shelf uh, e-commerce platform at both companies. I mean we kind of ended up there with both companies, but it took a while. So with
0: – let's say you sell auto anything today. You are now bored. There's nothing else left to buy. You've got to jump into a new niche. You've got to start a new e-commerce store, you're bored. What what are the what niches interest you? Where do you think the action is at for you?
1: Well, I'm kind of I'm already doing it. I would I would go into software that services e-commerce companies. Okay. I would sell shovels shovels on the e-commerce gold rush, right? And that's what PostPilot is. So let's talk about PostPilot.
0: What the and, hell is PostPilot? And I would say the,
1: I would say because, um, as a retailer, you've got to be able to, um, you've got to be that merchant. Like you've got to know what the killer product is, you know, that you're going to, you're going to build a brand around. I think of guys like the, the kettle and fire guys who do bone broth, you know, it, I like, I do paleo myself. So I'd probably like, if something like that had occurred to me, then yeah, starting a brand is on, is on the table. um, because that's a killer product, but I am not. Uh, you need that. You need that flash of inspiration that tells you what the killer product is. So, if, you know, you put a gun to my head and said, "Start an e-commerce retailer today." I don't know. You know, I probably just try to buy another one. The, but what I could, but well, what I do see as an opportunity is is SaaS servicing e-commerce businesses. Have you done it before? Have you had other uh, SaaS businesses in the past? Um, I was the CMO of a SaaS company for uh, about a year. Which one? Oh, teamwork. Uh, Oh, my gosh. We used
0: teamwork to manage our projects.
1: Yeah. Um, That kind of exposed me. So I I sold my company. I started working for a a fund that buys SaaS uh, based in the Bay Area. And in that capacity, I got kind of exposed to the whole world of SaaS.
0: And what was your impression?
1: I love it. I mean, it's it's very it's different. I think, um, to some extent, the lifetime. Well, if I had to sum it up, like the lifetime values tend to be higher, so it's a little bit easier uh, to run a SaaS business than an e-commerce business. You, you know, could pay,
0: You could pay more for customer acquisition cost. The customer lifetime value is higher, and it, it's more profitable
1: overall. Typically, yes. Yes, tip, You know, it's generalization. Of course, there are exceptions like subscription e-commerce businesses, but, um, you know, in e-commerce it's e-commerce is hard, right? Andy Dunn from Bonobos has this article, you know, put it in the show notes called, uh, e-commerce is a bear. And it, he basically says e-commerce is hard because you've got to work your butt off to acquire a customer, right? And when you acquire that customer, they come and they buy, they buy the, the suit from Bonobos. Then you got to reacquire the customer to buy again. You know, like you got to go and spend money on a Facebook ad or AdWords or something for the second purchase, unless you're fortunate enough to get them to, you know, they join your email list, right? Um, SAS is a little bit different. Like you work your ass off to acquire that customer, but then, you know, they typically come back the next month and the next month for a while before they churn. So, you know, it's just, it's another way to look at it. I think you take the, the good e-commerce marketer and put them into SaaS. And it's like you've taken this gladiator out of the uh, coliseum, you know, and they just dropped him in here where, where he or she is just like kicking ass, you know, because it's it's just a different beast.
0: No, absolutely. So you've got you've you've done it. You've got a SaaS business. It sends direct mail. Everything is like emails, a known channel. Emails the future. Social media, digital marketing, and here you are. Sending dead trees in the mail to customers. Yes. Tell me about it. How did this happen?
1: Well, I, I think the genesis of this, of my owning Postpilot was probably in 1999, where it was one, it's always been one of my top marketing channels, Postcards. And it's really just because once you do that work to identify your core customer segments and figure out the right offer for the right customer, what do all of us do? We put it in our remarketing you know, our remarketing channels and we put those offers in email, right? And they work. Those are super high ROI. An example might be like a second purchase campaign, you know, customer comes in bought product a, we know they are going to buy product B. Let's put that in the email sequence that goes to that customer after they buy product A. right? No brainer. And I I would say that works for 99% of the people out there who do that. Well, that's still, I mean that same logic applies whether the customer is opening an email or visiting a remarketing audience or, you know, opening their postal mail. And yet that's one channel that we all forget about because it's old school, right? It's a little bit hard to do in the past. You had to export list and go find a postcard application, upload that that list dynamically and maybe do some interesting things around couponing and hit send, right? So it wasn't an elegant way to do it, but um, I always liked the idea of direct mail. Um, It works. And why not just build an app that plugs into Shopify where it's as easy as sending uh, an email? So that's kind of what we did at Postpilot. All right. So
0: walk me through the setup for Postpilot. I have never played with this thing. My sole experience is you mentioned it to me. I went, holy shit, that sounds cool. Come on my podcast. And I looked at the homepage. So this is all fresh to me. How does Postpilot work? If I've got, let's say I'm a Shopify store, I want to plug this thing in.
1: It's it's very easy. So you you add it as an app, and uh, to your Shopify install. And what it does, it it tells you, okay, give us some time to pull in your customer data. It Pulls all the customer data into the app. Um, and by customer da- data, I mean, you know, the the postal obviously the postal addresses of your customers, uh, what they purchased, their purchase history. So, what they purchased, when they purchased. Um, and then that allows you to build segments in the app. Uh, for example, I want to send a postcard to everybody who, an MVP customer, they've ordered over $1,000 from my store. Or a second purchase campaign to everybody who bought this thing. I want to I wanna market this other thing. You know? So it pulls in the customer data. You go into the app. You design a postcard or you use one of our templates. You can customize it. You can personalize it. Um, I want to say, hey Kurt, instead of hey person, you know. Um, and then you you tee it up to send, and it sends in the background, right? You the app works much like AdWords, where you buy a set number of credits, postcard credits, and when they deplete, it it uh, replenishes. And what are these what do these credits cost? Because obviously,
0: so far what you described sounds exactly like email, right? And assuming
1: email. It's a great way to look at. Is it. It's
0: meant to be. I mean, mail is in the title. It is meant to be the electronic version of mail. So you describing this thing, if I didn't know any better, it would sound exactly like a newsletter, an email automation software. So I mean, that, that's the, the same best damn way thing. To
1: think about it. I think going forward, we, we on our roadmap, we want to turn it into a bit of a prospecting tool too, where you could choose audiences that don't. You know, give me a list of names, I can send a postcard to where I can prospect. But today. It's the same as remarketing. It's the same as email, right? I've got my existing customers and I just want to repeat this, really repeat the same offers I'm sending an email and just get more juice from those offers. So as you know, you know, what's the typical open rate for an email for so, e-commerce?
0: All right. If, if you're doing well, you get 25%. But 20, yeah, 20, yeah.
1: 20%. But it might
0: be yeah, so, 15% if you're not great at it.
1: Right. 80% of people, all their mail, their postal mail, including junk mail. So you've got this phenomenon where, yeah, people open it more. Whereas like 70, you know, 70, 80% of your list is not going to open your email. They may not be on Facebook and yet they engage with a physical postcard. And you know, it's just, if you do, if you do two in sync, you see that conversion rates go up 4%, sorry, four times AOVs go up. It's just like, it's, it's this. I I think people perceive of a postcard as a gift from the sender. They don't always perceive an ad like that, right? I get something in the mail, even if it's a piece of junk, I still open it. I still sort of, there's that sense that it's a gift from somebody. And so it's just a great opportunity to have another, you know, on brand touch point with your customer. Um, another thing that we're seeing now is that, you know, every other channel has become more expensive. So you want to run a Facebook ad, uh, because it's more competitive, right? Like the the cost of running an ad keeps going up over time, uh, whereas postal mail is capped, right? It's it's capped at because postage is capped. So um, it's become competitive from a cost, you know, cost of acquisition point of view with mm. a Facebook ad. So
0: it it seems to me that there may be some advantages here to direct mail. We're adding another touch point. An 80% open rate is extraordinary. The only thing better would be SMS. People are probably less—it sounds like, you know, your description of it's a gift from the sender, that feels like people are less protective of their postbox. Like, my inbox, I expect spam, and there's this terrible signal-to-noise ratio, so I'm just blowing through a lot of stuff and not looking at it, hence the low open rates. My mailbox doesn't have that issue, but my phone with SMS, people are super protective of it, so I've got an issue there. It seems like direct mail is living in this sweet spot where you're not offending people by sending the direct mail. And you're not, uh, but you're still getting the reward. You're getting this high open rate. Um, The downside I would have thought was the cost, but you're right. It's capped and everything else is getting more expensive. Okay, great. So with sending out, well, then the other advantage is I don't have the same regulatory worries, do I? Do people have to opt in for me to send them a postcard? I don't think so. No, no. So you could just send anybody a postcard. Yes. <laughs> okay. There's an advantage there. So yeah, all right. This is starting to sound well like a wildly missed opportunity for people that they're really overlooking uh,
1: postcards. So I think so. I mean it's worked at every retailer I've been a part of. And if you look at the you know, the big guys now, like Warby, Casper, excuse me, Harry's razors, like everybody's using direct mail. And it and may we'll, not be a postcard, it may it may be a catalog, but like, it's it's in the toolkit for any e-commerce brand now. Like, you've got to be sending direct mail.
0: I love Stance Socks. I know everybody's on board with cool socks now. I love Stance Socks. Ordered some Stance Socks recently, and a couple of weeks later, got a a nice, like, folded-in-half postcard in the mail telling me about the Stance Socks subscription program I should sign up for. So, and Interesting. It got my attention. Like, I was like, oh, look at that. I opened it, I read it, and I have not signed up yet. But it's in the back of my mind every time I open my sock drawer. And I'm like, right. I love first. So- What's better than putting on a fresh pair of socks? Nothing. There is nothing, nothing better than that.
1: <laughs> nothing Nothing better.
0: And that's what that sh- subscription should say. What's better than putting on fresh socks? Now we're going to put that on autopilot. You
1: does, know what? does anybody not, not put on a fresh pair of socks? Well, I meant like new socks. All right. Okay, new socks. Got it. No, I'm yeah. not
0: re-wearing my socks. I'm not a monster. <laughs> Drew. God. It's disgusting. All right. Tell, yeah. it sounds like you've got some experience here. What, what is a good versus bad postcard?
1: I think it's just like an ad, you know, you need a solid call to action, um, on, on the postcard. Obviously they need to know who it's from. So some product photography or brand photography, very important. And then I'd say personalization, just like email, you know, address it to me. You know, my name, put the name in the postcard, give me a custom coupon, um, you know, make it related to what I bought before. If you know I'm a man because I bought men men's clothing from your apparel brand, like don't send me an offer for a dress, you know, send me an offer for something related to what I purchased before. If I can only run
0: one it sounds like these are like email flows. If I can only run one
1: postcard flow. Postcard. What would Where it to be? S- start? Where to start? I think 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 like email, abandoned cart. Almost always works, right? You can do it abandoned cart postcard. Um, obviously you need the customer's address, but for a lot of your customers, they're banning their carts. You've got the address already. Um, and then I would say like a second purchase campaign. So somebody bought X, sell them Y in the postcard. <laughs> you don't have to like offer, you, you could put a coupon in that, but, um, just the simple, Hey, we still exist. This product is related to the first product you bought does really well too. I like this.
0: All right. If I want to sign up today, where do I go? <laughs> what does it cost you, me?
1: Uh, postpilot.com. You can sign up there. It's in the Shopify app store. Um, and again, it, the cost really depends on the volume you send. So you 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 buy more, I think, uh, the, the highest tier or the lowest tier is somewhere around 60, 70 cents per postcard. Um, but that goes up and down. We do have an offer. Am I allowed to do offers on your podcast? Please do. Okay. 15% off your first purchase. So go there. Use, let's come up with a coupon. Kurt15.
0: All right, let's do it. Get 15% Kurt 15. off. Your first.
1: K-E-R-T. should <laughs> so do you spell your name? K-U-R-T. I'm joking. I'm One joking. Five. K-U-R-T, yeah.
0: Yeah, but some of these people don't know. There's someone who's going to be typing K-E-R-T 15, and like, no, they're no. like, what the hell? now there's going to be a zillion.
1: Yeah, there's going to be a zillion, and they're going to spell out 15. It's going to be like the longest coupon code. Um, it's no, in the but, show notes. K-U-R-T. Wonderful. There we ah, go. There you go. Show notes. Okay. And it's in the show notes. But uh, yeah, take, take that, which, uh, which further decreases the, the cost of your mailing, and then set up a second purchase campaign.
0: I like it. We've got, we have a call to action here. What,
1: where can I go to learn more about you? Nerdmarketing.com is my blog. And I talk about uh, e-commerce on the blog, lessons learned, case studies, all right, we'll put nerd marketing in the show notes. Musings.
0: <laughs> musings. No yeah, one wants musings. to read your musings.
1: <laughs> Lessons learned, I tr- sure, I, but I I'm no musings. It, yeah, I try to make it like evidence-based approaches to running a direct consumer brand.
0: Uh, all right, any last words or parting thoughts before we wrap it up?
1: Uh, no, this has, been, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, if you have any questions, reach out to me. Reach out on Nerd. Say hi. Um, yeah, I love talking to your audience. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Drew. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks, Kurt.
1: Big news from
0: our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux, And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles in Turbo but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways, thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new demo shop import feature that allows you to fast track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC.